Ladies and gentlemen, thanks a lot for coming out this afternoon. Um, uh, a bit formal and informal setting, which is always a delight. Uh, but for those of you all who are not familiar with who we are at the Institute of, of World Politics, we are not a think tank. We are indeed a graduate university. Uh, and we focus specifically on international relations and the elements of statecraft, while at the same time we focus on intelligence tradecraft. And we put these elements together for our students um, who are already, many of them, well-placed within uh, government, DOD, and many on the Hill already, but we, our focus is to give them a foundation uh, similar to what the war colleges, I'm sure many of us in this room have attended, but to give them a strong foundation on why it is they believe and what they believe before they actually begin their, their jobs. Because we, we focus in on that it's important for a young man or young woman to know why it is that they've been called to service and what it is that they need to So this is a strong focus. So on behalf of the Institute, <coughs> Welcome, it's just great to have you. So I have the privilege of being able to read some of this oh, yeah, fine, no, nope, nope, gonna do it, Brett. <laughs> I'm delighted to do this, I've been waiting to do this. So many of you all know Brett, but uh, I've kept off as many decorations as an accomplished officer, but to give you a little background, Brett grew up in upstate New York and northern Maine. So he already is, is rough by nature and knows the outdoors, but he enlisted in the Army in April of 89 as an infantryman, and he became an EOD technician in July of 1993. And he attained the rank of Sergeant First Class, and then he commissioned through the Officer Candidate School Program and a distinguished military graduate in the Ordnance Corps in August of 2001. In July of 2008, he was designated a nuclear officer, and he currently, uh, he is the Army Fellow over at the FBI uh, with Weapons of Mass Destruction Directorate. His military education is extremely lengthy with multiple schools, but uh, his primary leadership development course, the Navy School of Explosive Ordnance Disposal, Advanced Access, and uh, uh, this this uh, dismemberment, uh, the NCO course, joint nuclear EOD courses, advanced EOD management courses, um, advanced NCO, officer candidate school, um, officer advanced course, commands general staff, nuclear and counterproliferation um, officer courses, nuclear weapons, nuclear policy, theater nuclear operations, and joint combined war fighting schools. <coughs> His civilian education includes a uh, bachelor's from Excelsior in New York, a master's in mechanical engineering with specialization in explosives from New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology, and he's currently a PhD candidate in explosives engineering at Missouri University of Science and Technology. And, and Brad, I, you know, I will say this, um, in a couple of months that we've gotten to know each other, he's not only a an officer uh, extraordinaire from the field. And if you ever read his resume, that backs that up. But he's an officer uh, of intellect. And he is applying the two, which is really gonna enable us to get the job done 
specifically in the area that you are a subject matter expert in. So, Brett, it's just an honor to have you, uh, and I look forward to many years of building relationship with you. All right. So, All right. Thank, thank you, sir. You. I appreciate it, Chris. We welcome <coughs> Brett. All right. All right, thanks, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, so what I'm gonna cover is gonna be a six month tour basically uh, that uh, our team uh, performed in Iraq back in 2004. Uh, I actually kinda, I, I gave this, uh, I practiced this brief yesterday on a bunch of interns at the FBI and the interns were less than 10 years old when we were doing this mission. So, <laughs> so I didn't realize how uh, way back in time it was. Uh, I'm gonna, one thing I want to say, whenever I say I in this presentation, I mean we, and fortunately when I say we, I actually have parts of the team here. I've got Bob, I've got Shane, I've got Rick uh, here. Uh, so it's good to have them here and they can keep my lies straight, right? <laughs> All right. So, um, and actually yesterday afternoon I went to, uh, I had coffee with uh, Charles Delfer and uh, was sitting down with him and going over and he just told me to have fun. So I'm going to have fun. All right. So um, again, we're the, uh, it was 2004 and uh, let me give you a uh, prep beforehand. Oh, I should, I, I do have to cover the legal, uh, legal part, you know, so the views expressed are those of the author and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. Army Department of Defense or the U.S. government. All right. We've taken care of that because I'm still active duty. All right. So, uh, so back in 2004 in Iraq. It had been a year since the invasion, right? So you've got multiple things that have uh, started to happen. Uh, for example, one, uh, if you were to go back in time and, you know, when I was, when I was there for uh, April of 2003, we had a lot of ammunition that was just all over the place, right? And it was hard to account for it all. We moved, I don't even know how many millions of pieces of ordnance uh, out of Baghdad uh, in April and May. So, there's a large, you know, so you had a large um, stock for insurgents to take possession of these, of the uh, unaccounted for munitions. So the insurgency starts to begin. Uh, Saddam Hussein had been captured uh, in December, uh, and then you had Sunni and Shia factions starting to uh, rise. You got Muqtada al-Sadr, you're ramping up an insurgency, uh, and then you have the Abu Ghraib prison controversy. Boy, just mix all that together, right? And, and, uh, and now, um, now we actually start to deploy. So on the initial push into Iraq, you had the Exploitation Task Force. Unfortunately, I got a rep here who was actually on the XTF too. So their mission on the XTF was uh, uh, the aim of discovering WMD, not, not inspecting and developing an analytic assessment of the Iraq program, right? So they're out to see, hey, is there WMD here? That was the XTF mission, military-driven type mission. Then the CIA took over and created the Iraq Survey Group, so that way you changed the nature of the mission into the search for truth on the WMD because we weren't finding the WMD, right? So obviously you've got all the political um, references that are happening during this time. Hey, you went to war for WMD, where's the WMD? All right, we've gotta get onto this. Why did we get this wrong, all right? So, uh, the uh, couple references that I do use uh, within the presentation, all right, are uh, going to be um, one, the uh, Delphi report. 
Uh, so if you were to go to just the government printing office website, you can get the uh, comprehensive report of the special advisor to the DCI and Iraq WMDs. All right. I'd love to have a hard copy of it. Uh, the uh, GPO you know, charges a lot of money. So uh, fortunately, you get it down on PDF. And there's three volumes, and then you have the addendums. All right. Uh, other two books that I'm going to reference uh, are going to be uh, Curveball uh, by Bob Dragan, uh, which is very good. And then finally, it's going to be uh, Hide and Seek by Charles Delfer. So if you were to read these, I recommend either going Curveball, then the Delfer Report, and then Charles Delfer's book, or read it backwards. Read his book, then read the Delfer Report, and then read Curveball. You know, sometimes if you take a look at analysis backwards, uh, it can tell you a different method, right? So, uh, so you've got the, and then this here, this is the perf picture of the perfume palace, right? Uh, it wasn't bombed in our initial invasion back in 2003 because they thought it was a mosque, right? Uh, so fortunately, uh, we're able to, the Iraq Survey Group was able to take over the building. Uh, it's interesting uh, going through Curveball and you can uh, hear uh, input from Dr. K uh, going, you know, hey, I want this built faster, you know, and then the, the, the people who were taking care of that contract said, oh, yeah, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get it built faster, but they, we won't fix the plumbing. So then you had to go outside and use the porta potties. Um, so, uh, and uh, we called it Perfume Palace because evidently on the backside, written in, uh, written in Arabic, is there's nothing sweeter than the smell of Saddam or something to that effect. So, yes. <laughs> All right, so, so this is the team. So this is, this is Ken Bile Disablement Team 4. So obviously there was one, two, and three beforehand, right? Uh, I got two pictures here because uh, at no point, uh, when you're ever out there on a team, can you have everyone together on the same photo? Uh, so you, you know, we had our normal uh, chem breakdown, uh, uh, you know, chem officer, uh, chem NCO senior, right, who are running the team, and then you got a uh, chem operations officer, and then a chem decon team, chem sampling team, camp, uh, uh, chem uh, transload team, and then you got some EOD troublemakers in there, uh, then you have a bio uh, analysis person, and then we had um, uh, equipment, um, so uh, chemical instrumentation, equipment maintain maintainer. Uh, so you put all that combination together, and it was, it was nice uh, for me. Uh, we were stationed out of Aberdeen Proof Ground, Edgewood uh, area, uh, and uh, the team welcomed me in and at a short notice, hey, I'm gonna come deploy with you, and we storm formed in Norm the fastest I ever have. Uh, so it was a great opportunity to, to work with everyone. Uh, you know, the first picture is there from our first, uh, first time going up on the roof of, uh, how would you like to, to be deployed in an area and have a nice lake outside? You know, you know, it's kind of nice sometimes, right? And then, uh, then the, other, the other, other picture was when uh, I was out on an escort and they took a picture and I didn't know about this picture until about two weeks ago, so that's pretty good. I get to learn something new. So now, let's start on the mission, all right? So sure enough, why don't we go dig some holes? It was funny when I, uh, when I was briefing this at the FBI the other day, I said, all right, and guess who put me in this hole? The FBI. So it was uh, back then, uh, you'd have uh, detainees, and they would say, hey, I know where the WMD is, right? Because that's going to get you some special treatment, right? 
So then the detainees get taken out of whatever prison they're in, and then they get paraded around to different areas where they can say the WMD is. So at this point, we're up in Taji, right? And they've got backhoes, everything all lined up, and, the, and he just is sitting there, and he goes, and just points there. And they dig a hole, and we hop down. I've got a Sean stat there, it's a you know, metal detector. And uh, I just go up and down, and well, I already know, we already pulled all the dirt out of the hole. I'm pretty sure there's not gonna be anything to the left and right. So I hop out of the hole, and they dig another hole, and you hop back in. After about five or six holes, you know, you get out and you just go to the FBI guy. He's lying. <laughs> so, um, so that was our initial flavor of what we were going to be doing in the Iraq survey group, uh, supporting their search for truth and understanding where the WMD you know, was at, the development. Uh, another thing that we take a look at is the, uh, this is the Tuatha, this is where the yellow cake was at. So we were asked to, uh, we were asked to go down and x-ray one of the containers because uh, they couldn't, they needed to get the dimensions on the inside. Every, all the containers are sealed, they have the uh, IAA seals on them and they couldn't bust open the seals uh, but they needed to understand the inner containment. Uh, so, but that was all collected and this is all old, this is all old declared uh, uh, yellow cake, right? If you were to take a look, it's Italy on the yellow boxes, and I can't remember where the uh, where the actual origin was for the uh, uranium oxide on the upper left-hand side. All right. So, but all this was co-located at Tuatha, um, again, and trying to get to a nuclear program from yellow cake takes a long process. All right. <clears throat> so another thing that we also uh, went out to do uh, was to uh, take a look at the uh, captured enemy ammunition storage areas. So uh, I remember when I said uh, 2003 we're trying to package everything up out of Baghdad itself. We're just one element of trying to uh, get a handle of all that uh, the, uh, the ammunition throughout the country. Eventually they co-locate into multiple CEAs, right? And then each CEA would have multiple bunkers above ground, uh, you know, outside storage areas, et cetera, right? So now we had to go in and go inspect all these bunkers looking to verify that there, we didn't miss WMD and it's not in the bunkers. So take a look at the picture there. All right, so uh, can you find the WMD in that pile of ordnance? And that was typical, right, within some of these uh, bunker systems. Accountability as a whole, Sometimes you'd walk into a bunker and you'd see, you know, an inventory sheet. Oh, wow, this person actually did an inventory, whoever was here before we invaded, right? But you go to the next bunker over and that person obviously didn't do any inventory. And you take a look, you know, you got all the propellant on the ground and we've got to walk over all that to take a look and inspect boxes. So, and then if you can take a look here, do you, do you see the person's head in the other picture? All right, so, yeah, they're standing on their tippy toes, right? So imagine 100 of these bunkers that you've got to go through and tens of these CEAs. And these are just the, these are just the bunkers. <laughs> Wait a minute. We've got open storage too, right? So you've got the open storage areas. And in the background, you can see some of the bunker complex, right? So another thing you had, an issue you had, in these CAEAs is once we invaded and the Iraqis pulled out and left everything unsecure, well, 
You know what's there? Metal. Metal is important to people, right? Because you can't go out to the tree and pick metal off, you know, pick your, pick your metal off the apple. You gotta get it from the ground, underneath the ground. So if you've got metal up uh, above the surface, then that's great. And so they would go get the rotating bands off, these, off the projectiles maybe, for example. They'd heat up the, they'd heat up the ordnance and they'd try to knock off the rotating bands because it was a soft metal, right? And, uh, <clears throat> and sometimes heating up ordnance is not a good idea and it would detonate. So then we've got to go through all this to make sure you know, there's no WMD there. The one thing, the one bane of our existence was the long box though, right? So the, uh, the picture on the, on the right is a 122 millimeter uh, rocket. We were told that the long boxes might have the WMD 122 millimeter rockets. So we would open up the box and you can see here, the box keeps going to the left a little bit, uh, a little bit further, right, in this photo. So you'd open up and you'd find a short rocket in a long box. So it was very frustrating when you'd open up a bunker and you'd see a bunch of long boxes, knowing that you had to go open up every single long box to make sure that there was a short round in the long box, all right? And then you've got all the propellant piled up around, et cetera. So we do that for a while, and then the, uh, you start to have, Insurgency is starting to investigate their own WMD production. Uh, this is an uh, incident that happened on April 26th, uh, where uh, part of our, uh, the majority of our team went into the chemical soup to go after, uh, um, to take a look at the, uh, to take a look at the uh, chemical soup, so it's the Alibu chemical network, right? And they were an insurgency that was trying to make improvised uh, bio uh, ricin, right, initially. Uh, so they go to, and unfortunately, um, the, the, unfortunately the, the site they're working on blew up. One of our team was burned uh, severely. Uh, two people from our security elements were killed, uh, Sergeant Rookie and Sergeant Baker. Uh, Pennsylvania National Guard and one uh, uh, a person from Maine uh, working in the Pennsylvania National Guard. Um, so, and then this picture here was a war-winning photo. Um, I, I apologize, I don't have the journalist's name here, uh, uh, but this uh, used, was used as a, uh, to demonstrate that things are starting to go bad in Iraq, right? And that this was, uh, photo was, uh, was used as an example of everything that's happening. <clears throat> so then, May happens. So uh, EOD unit from uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas is out on a uh, response and they come and they got called up and they said, hey, we've got, got this piece of ordinance here. You can see it, uh, the, the main charge there on the, uh, the bottom right hand side. And you can see that the, the nose area has been uh, blown off, right? Fortunately, the unit front and but this projectile was the smell coming off of this was incredibly potent right and the unit actually was from Pine Bluff Arkansas where we actually have a chemical uh, DML or uh, we have uh, associated chemical um, uh, knowledge so they understood responding to chemical uh, type munitions and so they packaged this up and then they gave us a call and then we went and responded and to this day I cannot get that s the smell I can't explain to you the smell but I would take the most hottest pepper and make it a, as dirty as you possibly could and then smell it and then apply heat 
it, it's, it, it was very, you, you, we got out of the vehicle and we could smell it from probably about, you know, 50 feet away, 100 feet away. It was very potent. So we, we packaged that up. And you, you, we noticed a couple of things. So then we, we pulled, the, uh, pulled the residue out. You can see, and, and in the end, this ended up being a, 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 a mustard projectile, right? We can see actually that it's, that it's old, uh, can't be used, and, more than and what the insurgents did, they, they thought they had a regular normal projectile, packed the nose fuse with uh, explosives, blew up, the projectile thinking that would be a normal improvised explosive device and cause uh, a, a catastrophic injury to anyone located, but no, it didn't really go off. It just blew the, the, the nose off. Uh, it was, and then, and so then we took a look and we saw the middle picture there in the top, that's a, that's a burster tube that's been blowing out. And so when we first took a look at that, well, maybe the, the detonation must have, must have uh, uh, done something to that. So it was kind of, uh, just interesting at, at first. Then, a couple days, well, that was, uh, that was 6 May, and then on 15 May, we had a, an interesting incident. EOD team was out uh, in uh, southern Baghdad uh, next to uh, FOB, then, then called Ferris uh, Huggins. Um, uh, it's, uh, it was renamed Falcon when I was there later on in 2006. So the EOD team responded to a projectile. Um, they uh, it had the same key ID features as that other one as far as being blown out in the nose, right? And a couple days earlier, that same team leader had uh, responded to an IED where the insurgent used an illumination round and it had the same type of effect to the projectile, right? So he walks up. He's unfortunately in a low area, so there's high ground of buildings around him, so he's in a danger area. Walks up and sees the projectile, notices it's just blown out the nose, and it looks like another illumination round, and part of the trigger system, he recognized that it was the same bomber from the pre from a couple days before, so then you unfortunately can, you go down the track of, oh, you know what, same guy, he's taken from the same cache, he's got the, he's got, you know, the wrong projectile. Because illumination, the worst it's going to do is shoot out a flare. It's not going to detonate, all right? So, uh, so then when they're coming back to, uh, to post, they start to get blurry eye. It's hard for them to see. They're starting to not feel very well at all. And they pull in. Fortunately, uh, in this location, we had two different EOD units co-located there. Uh, further in was the Army element and closer to us was the Navy EOD team. So they pulled in, they go to the Navy guys and say, listen, there's something in the back of our truck and it's a hazard. You need to package it up and we've got to go to the docks, right? And so, they, uh, so then they go out. The Navy team, they mask up, <clears throat> they uh, take out initial chem, you know, our, our initial uh, chem detection and hey, there's something bad here. They seal it up as best as they can, right? And then they notify the higher authority at the, at the time, uh, which I think was the 63rd uh, Ordnance Battalion EOD. Uh, and then that unit then calls us up. Uh, and fortunately, then it was an EOD guy calling up. And we picked, and then I picked up the phone and we started talking in code, in EOD code. And uh, hung up the phone. I turned to Shane. I go, we got to respond. So 
uh, kind of interesting to, because uh, we weren't really set up to initially respond to an incident because we we're going out with these uh, inspection teams. Uh, so we get everything spun up uh, and we go and respond. The, uh, so once we get on site, <coughs> we set up everything and we know, it's hard to see, <coughs> that's our objective right there. <coughs> that bagged up projectile. <coughs> so now we go down range, we set everything up, we set up a, a hotline, uh, contamination control area, and, uh, and we head on down. <coughs> so <coughs> as we start to uh, uncover what the, the Navy team uh, packaged up, uh, we have ion scan technology with us. And uh, I was talking to uh, a New York Times uh, journalist, uh, C.J. Chivers, uh, and, uh, and he told me, he goes, the picture on the right is a, is a historical relevant photo. So we took a picture of what the ion scan was saying, and he, it's hard to see, it's out of focus, right? Uh, but it says nerve low, and it's got the gas mask. And that ion scan is screaming nerve, nerve, right? And so that is the first photograph of using electronic means to detect chemical warfare agent in a war environment. So, so I, I never thought about it that way. And he said, no, that's a critical, that's a key, that's a key photo, right? So again, it's starting to, uh, starting to scream. Uh, and so we start to unpackage uh, everything. And if you take a look at the nose, it looks about the same as that other projectile, right? So it's understandably that the, that the EOD team leader said, hey, this is just another illumination round and throws it up on, on the truck. This one didn't have that pungent smell, right? The other projectile, you could tell that there's something bad in that, right? This one doesn't have that type of smell. Uh, so we go in, uh, so at this point, this is when we become in investigators, right? So now we have to go into evidence collection and follow chain of custody procedures, right? Because think about it. We went to war for WMD and we're pretty sure we've found some sort of WMD and we're just a ragtag bunch of guys, you know, and a couple gals, right? So, uh, so we go into evidence because this is our job in tech escort. So we're going to, we're going to pull a sample, right? And we go into full chain of custody. We're going to annotate date, time group, right? Sign, dual signature on the evidence. And that's Saren we're pulling out, right? That's kind of interesting. So this was a GB2 type projectile, right? So in that, in the GB2, if you were explain what GB2 is, you've got two chemicals, right? Separate, they're not as much of a hazard, but when you mix them together, they create Saren nerve agent, right? So when the uh, projectile was fired off, right, with the explosive charge put in the front, it blew the diaphragm that separated the two chemicals and mixed it right then and there. So Saddam, uh, so if you were to take a look at the Delphi report, um, I think it's referenced in there, the, the pre-1991 regime uh, only had about, I think they did about six of these experimental 152 uh, projectile GB2 rounds. Um, and they, they declared that they were all destroyed, right? But the problem is, when we bombed Muthana in 1991, and I'll show you some pictures of what, what that looked like uh, later on, when, building, when you bomb a building and a building collapse, right, sometimes there's, 
you know, I would, I would, uh, I, I would opine that you have now uh, hidden some stuff underneath or you've lost some stuff or you've lost accountability because, well, this bunker has collapsed, this building has collapsed, right? And then when we invaded in 2003, the UN had to pull out beforehand. Mothana was, was uh, wired up for surveillance there was, uh, uh, by the UN, so the UN had to pull out. So now, if you've ever been to a desert, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to grow some things, right? It's, why would I want to make bricks? When I look over there and I see a bunch of buildings that have been blown up and there's free bricks on the ground, I don't have to make bricks anymore. So I'm gonna go collect bricks. And as you start to collect bricks, you might find something underneath the bricks. And that's what I think how this came, this came out. So uh, this was, you know, just a one-off. Um, but it's just interesting to, the, the fact that all these things started to happen, if you were to take a look at understanding how the insurgency is working, trying to use munitions against the coalition, and then one of these happens to be in there, it, it's a, it's a, a lot of things had to fall into place in order for that to happen, all right? And fortunately, you know, I mean, and fortunately the team got, you know, they were able to get immediate medical care there. Later on, I'll explain uh, 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 what uh, C.J. Chivers uh, did for the troops, though, um, as far as uh, getting a reference to uh, recognition for people who are exposed. <clears throat> so uh, then you're going to go through, you're going to package it up. All right, we'll uh, seal it all up. And then uh, working in these environments, in a hot environment, I just want you to understand that the person here on the, on the bottom left coming out, getting cut out, right, going through decon, their shirt normally was probably the color of the tan background building, right? You, it is exhausting to, to make it through. And I think this might be the photo, I don't know. I've been looking for it. So on the right, all right, is a picture of a Fox vehicle. And I think this is probably the first time that the Fox was used in a war environment to detect chemical agent also. So, but. So, all right, you know what? That was 15 May, we package all that up, we go back and we, we sit down. <laughs> you know what, well, let's just keep it going, 16 May we're gonna to have to respond to something. So the previous unit, the, the unit that was associated with Pine Bluff, they go out on a raid, right? And they recover nine, so the, that projectile that, uh, from the, that had the mustard residue in it, that's what we call an M110 projectile. It has a burster tube down the center, so that way any liquid that you have on the inside can be dispersed. Normally it's a white phosphorus, a signaling light generating you know, smoke. Uh, but also in, the, in you know, our old days, when we used to have chemicals, they, you, you would use the M110 and put mustard agent in. So these were Spanish M110s. And so the unit knew when they rolled up on this cache, and they, the, these weren't used as IEDs yet, they knew that the, the way the plug is on the nose, that this is an M110, so they called us. And then we picked them up, the nine of them, and then we went to, we're going to x-ray them first. And then look at that, that was a key ID feature. When we x-rayed and we saw that blown out burster tube that led us to, hey, that's some type of D-mill because they're all done the same way. Oh, yeah, that mustard IED, right, had that same effect. So uh, if you take, again, I'll reference the Delphi report. Um, in there, it, uh, 
believe they said that there were, um, they found 10, uh, the Iraqis found 10 rounds after UN or before the UN came in or whatever, and they had sealed up one of the bunkers, Mathana, and so they possibly demilled these themselves, and they tried pouring whatever agent they could out. Well, if you try pouring something out, you're not going to be able to get all the agent out, right? So that's why uh, you would have some of that residue that we saw on the, on the mustard IED. And surprisingly, after how many years, right, that, uh, you know, probably over 10 years, that it was, that just smelled awful. So, um, so now, <clears throat> so now, 18 May. Um, it's funny, I, so I go back, uh, so we go back to the Perfume Palace and go upstairs and I go talk to a person named Rita. Rita, only known as her first name, she's referenceable in Curveball and referenceable in Hide and Seek. And, uh, and she, goes, she goes, oh, um, they want to talk to you back in D.C. I said, okay, so I call back uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, they said, hey, we're kind of interested in the fact that you found all this stuff. We'd like to, we'd like to bring it back, right? And I kind of chuckle. I'm like, I, I go, that's our job, Tech Escort, to, to move all these things, but I really don't know how you're actually going to move Saren and all these, all these things. I, I never really thought about it. Even though we're trained, I, I didn't think that we would actually you know, have to perform this part of the mission, right? And, and I said, anyways, I, I think you, you've got to deal with some different parts of the government to get permission beforehand, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. So as I'm leaving, Rita turns to me and says, hey, you gotta be quiet about this for right now, right? There's a lot of, there's obviously political sensitivity, right? Said, not a problem. So um, head, head, back to the, uh, head back to our house on the lake, right? And uh, teams, right, you gotta remember, you, you're, 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 you're tired, you're beat, right? Team's, got, team's gonna rest, they're playing some Xbox, right? And uh, some Halo. And then uh, on the left side, because we care, we actually have AFN news playing, right? So we can multitask. We need to pay attention to what's going on in, in, in the world. And, uh, and they happen to have a, a story. Uh, they're covering an excerpt from, uh, from, uh, uh, from Congress. And uh, Under Secretary of Defense uh, Wolfowitz was actually at Congress. And they're talking about, what are they talking about? <laughs> well, they're talking about the Sarin IED. Wait a minute, I thought we weren't talking about that. All right, okay, not a problem. I understand how the government works now. All right, so I, back then I was a, you know, I was a first lieutenant. I, I, I was a sergeant first class. Uh, it wasn't my first rodeo, but now, I'm, okay, I'm understanding how this is working. So well, it's interesting, right? So uh, uh, I think it's Senator Brownback, whatever, I can't, I forgot. Uh, Senator, Senator Brownback and then Under Secretary Wolfowitz are going back and forth. And Wolfowitz states this, so right now the shells and the substance are being sent back to the United States for a conclusive test back here. Where do you think they were? No, they're in our remote connects, <laughs> right? So I go, you ever talk to the TV? Yeah, I talk to the TV. So, so, uh, we sat there and, uh, and uh, we went down, uh, sat down and we, we, sat, we sat down with the Air Force Manual of Transportation, right? Hazardous material transportation. All right, what do we need to do this? And you know, and naturally there's a rule for everything and you just got to find the rule, right? And you got to find someone to pay for the rule. Remember that guy in Washington? I said, we really like to get that back. Went back to him afterwards. I go, you're paying. 
So this is how you ship it back, right? This is the shipper's declaration, right? <clears throat> so, and uh, it's stated on here, right? So we're shipping sarin, we're shipping sulfur mustard and samples of that. You know, we've got our quote unquote overpacked used, right? So that way we've, we're, we've got this safe and we're good to go and we can fly it. And we're gonna package it up on a pallet and we're gonna have a nice hazard sticker on there, inhalation hazard. I think that's the sarin one there. Yep. So we will take one private C-17 plane. Well, it's not private, it's a US government plane, right? So it will land in Baghdad. We'll load this on the plane. The only thing on the plane will be the air crew, tech escort team to take it back. And this will fly on the back ramp. So it's kind of funny. So it's kind of funny when you when you walk up and you're 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 loading this on the you're loading this on the back of the plane and you suddenly realize how long a C-17 is, right? When you're walking up to get to the center to to get to the front of the C-17 and the pilot's walking from the from you know his area to the back of the C-17 and his question is, why do I need a gas mask? <laughs> All right, and then you kind of pack your head, you, 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 you pat him on the back, you know, oh, he outranked me, but hey, what's good, sir? So this is what you're transporting. And after the conversation, he goes, it's on the ramp. And if anything happens, I am here dropping the ramp and it's going in the ocean, right? So we had to do uh, nonstop air refuel, couldn't stop in any other country and land in Aberdeen. And that's how we can pull it off. That's how we can move it back to the US. Because according to, according to Wolfowitz, it's, it's on its way. So I had to get it on its way. That is a, impli that is a implied task, right? So, <laughs> so, <clears throat> so then uh, later on, uh, so we, we, you know, we pull that off and all right, you know, high fives all around. Uh, then June happens, all right, <laughs> it's another month. Why don't we bring something else in? So we do. So the poles in the poles sector down south, they've now find out a source, right, who says they have the WMD. So <laughs> let me digress. I got to tell you a story about, hey, I've got a source who's got the WMD. One time we were trying to go out on a mission and the, uh, and the British Brigadier, great gentleman, right? Uh, he comes up and says, Brett, we have a very sensitive issue. We have a source that we've worked with and we need to um, take care of him. And we, he is bringing, he's bringing the WMD here. And I need you to take possession of the WMD and verify that's the WMD. Okay, sir, not a problem, you know? So we were getting, we were actually had to go roll out on a mission, but we could push off for, for an hour. So, so then sure enough, all of a sudden this, Source arrives, right, and I'm, handed, and I'm handed a box that's about the size of a jewelry box, and it's very light, right? So already I'm gonna start eliminating a lot of things that this is not. It, it's not nuclear, because it would be really heavy otherwise, right? So, so then I, we go around the corner and open up the box, and, and inside is a CO2 cylinder with a sticker on it that says, 99.999% no 99.999999% sure plutonium made in Germany there's a red mercury scare, scam <laughs> so so whenever someone said i've got a source and they've got the wmd yeah 
how many holes have we been in? How many box, drilly boxes of WMD did we open? So, so we go down, uh, so we go down to Babylon, and uh, um, at normal military operation, uh, I think this is what happened, right? So, uh, Iraq Survey Group is uh, UK, US, and uh, Australian forces, right? We all kind of speak the same language, you know, English. And then we're in the, going to the Polish sector, right? And I believe they speak Polish. And you think you'd bring an interpreter. Sounds like a good idea, right? So next time we do this, bring the interpreter, right? So we're trying to work on talking or whatever. So we go and they packaged up the, uh, they had sealed the, these two uh, rockets up. And so we, so we, first thing we're gonna do, first thing we're doing, we're actually doing this thing called slosh test. We're like, you know, tilting up and down. We're like, I think something's in there, you know? So then you put it at an angle and we take an X-ray and sure enough, we, oh wow, that's pretty neat. <clears throat> we have a liquid line. So, you know, curiosity, you know, comes in. So after that, what we're gonna do is we're actually, we can't open this up right now where we're at. We don't have the tools, we don't have anything. We will like some sort of field confirm, uh, what Wolfitz is talking, that field confirmation analysis. So we're gonna apply some of that. Um, so we've got the portable isotopic neutron spectroscopy system. I'm sure all of you have one of these in your home, right? So, uh, so essentially what we're gonna do is we're gonna introduce a, we're gonna introduce a neutron uh, into, uh, into the item that we want to uh, exploit, right? And that's gonna go in, it's gonna knock a gamma off and I'm gonna use a, we're gonna use a high purity germanium crystal, all right? That has to be kept super cool with liquid nitrogen in the desert, all right? So, uh, um, and we're gonna use that, we're gonna see if we can detect. And sure enough, we got the spectrum that came up as nerve. Hey, that's great, that's really interesting. So we package everything up uh, and then we go back and then we exploit this ourselves. We actually had to do the, uh, the tap and drill to, to pull the agent out of this, uh, out of this uh, rocket, right? So, hey, we finally got a long rocket minus the rocket and the fact that it's completely unusable as a weapons of mass destruction. It's old, rusty, right? Uh, this came out of the Kamasia area and I'll cover that a little bit later. Uh, so we're, out of this, we're able to pull uh, uh, cyclosarin uh, out of this uh, rocket, and it had degraded over time. Uh, like, uh, so, and I'll come back to Kamasia and I'll explain what I think happened on that one. <clears throat> so, well, that's really good, right? You've got now the poles are really interested, so now they start engaging the uh, engaging the, the the source down there. Uh, and obviously, well, the source got money, so the source is gonna give you some more stuff because he wants more money, right? So we get down there, and we've gotta wait because they've gotta arrange for the source to, uh, to, uh, to line everything up. Uh, so in the meantime, we get to tour Babylon, right? So I gotta show you some history. You, you can't do a presentation without some history, right? So uh, this here uh, is uh, actually a picture of the catacombs that were probably underneath the, uh, the supposed hanging gardens of Babylon, right? And we actually had a, um, a tour guide there. It was great, uh, great uh, Iraqi individual. And he turned uh, and said, hey, everyone point your cameras and turn your flashes on and shine it down these hallways, right? And we did. And, and those are bats, so it's pretty neat. But the neat thing, right, is it was so cold, right? So, you know, this was, you know, this is June, 
you know, 2004, and we're up on the, when we're up on the surface on the sand, it's incredibly hot, but we go down there and it's nice and cold. So it made sense that this would be part of that, you know, the, where goods would transverse, you know, back in the Babylonian days. And it was kind of interesting, you got to see some of the, the, the bricks that were uh, used to, to build Babylon, and they um, had uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I, I believe, his stamp would be put on there, and then Saddam ruined it by building on top of it and putting his signature on bricks on top of all that. But it was uh, neat to be there historically, and you got to see some of the, uh, uh, the emblems that were actually on the, the, the gates to Babylon. The, the Babylonian gates are in Germany now, in Berlin, uh, which is probably a good thing you know, in, in the end. So then, we, uh, they line the source up. So uh, we get to, we, we load up, uh, Shane, Shane goes, uh, all right, I want the EUD guys in the air-conditioned van, right? So that way, once we hit the ground, because we don't know what we're going after, right? So once we hit the ground, you guys are going first, I want you guys fresh, right? So we hop in the van and we start a, I think it was probably two hours at least trip to, I don't know where we were at, four, four hours. Four hour trip, right? How long do you think the air conditioning lasts in the van? About 10 minutes, right? And, and the guy driving doesn't speak English, but he's got one thing in English. The greatest hits of 1979 on tape, playing continually for four hours. <laughs> so by the time we get down there, we're, we're ready to go to work, right? So what we, what we come across is a whole bunch of these, more rusted out, blown up, uh, 122 millimeter uh, soccer uh, warheads. And now they know the, you know, the, the source. Oh, they're looking for liquid, All right? Not a problem, I'll put liquid in here and they've put diesel and insecticide in here. You could smell the diesel when we walked up. They had, uh, the, they put uh, like uh, inner tube taped up on there, you can see on there. And so uh, we packaged all that up. I think we pulled a total of 41 of those and and those didn't have it those were all those were all empty so what happened with the regarding common in 1991 the gulf war when the u.s went in u.s army engineers blew up commissia commissia was the storage location for the 122 millimeter cyclosarin rockets that were used in the iran iraq war for iraq to fire against iran right so not good right to blow up chemical weapons storage area that contains chemical weapons. So if, if we can relearn one thing from that, we don't want to do that. So when that stuff blew up, it sent ordnance all over the place, right? And obviously some stuff will be unaccounted for. And what I think happened on that, that one that actually had the cyclosarin still in it, although is the, 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 the potency of it was so, was very degraded, right? So it probably blew up one part of it busted open, dumped a lot of sarin out. There's maybe a heat reaction in there. It comes down, hits the ground, gets collapsed, and somehow it, find, it, somehow it sealed back up with a little bit of that agent left. And then it's just sitting in the, in, the, in the sun for 12 years until the source finds it. You know, it's just, it just, you know, a lot of circumstances that fell into place. And I want to caveat that we're covering, you know, we're covering everything that we did from, uh, from uh, April to uh, October 2004. Later on, there's, there's one two, 122 millimeter uh, uh, rockets that are found containing uh, agent. But the thing is, 
the Saddam's government declared that there's 450, I think it was 450 of the 155 muster projectiles that were unaccounted for and 550 of the rockets that were unaccounted for. It's in the UN reports and the Delphi report. Um, so, wait a minute, we had that, we had that group, Alibu Network. So, all right, if we're not working on old conventional WMD stuff, maybe we're gonna have some Maybe we're going to go against the insurgency trying to make their own. And so that's what's happening here. Uh, so a team here is doing transload. This is from well, the Rising case when they first started um, <clears throat> uh, going through and finding uh, uh, Rison. Uh, so Albu was trying to make improvised GA uh, uh, nerve agent and then uh, improvised uh, mustard agent. And they're doing it out in, the, in Fallujah. And so we went on this uh, mission called Rubber Chicken 1 and Rubber Chicken 2, uh, much to the chagrin of uh, Mr. Delfer. Uh, and so sometimes we would get called and uh, you know, the, we get the call, hey, we're gonna come pick you up and we're gonna take you into the red zone and you gotta wear your civilian clothes and we've got the source who's got the WMD. Again, it was just a recurring theme. And so we go and show up and here we're going up and uh, pulling up uh, some ordinance that's coming out of the, the back of a truck. And it is funny at this time, the uh, I think we're actually getting this from the quote unquote uh, head of the Iraqi equivalent FBI at the time. And so I go show up, I'm, you know, we're, 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 we're dignified. We thank him for his work. And he goes, I'm pulling this out of Fallujah. I go, you know, where is it? He goes, it's in the back of my back of the car, and we start to walk back there. And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out a key fob and hits the the trunk opening thing with the key fob. This is when he had the star of the IDs going off, right? And you know, using key fobs and everything. And I, I turned to him. I said, could you please not use the key fob around us? I'd appreciate that. So, so then we got this. Um, this is the the bane of my existence. The mortars. This is a picture of uh, what, what it was a chicken farm in Fallujah, and supposedly this is the these are the modified mortars that might have this improvised um, uh, nerve or blister agent in it. Uh, and the unit finding it was told not to blow it up. So then we go and show up on site to go uh, to you know, exploit the chicken farm. And I'm looking around for that. Um, it's very interesting when you walk in wearing a Tyvek suit into a, in a gas mask and you walk into literally a chicken farm with hens all over the place and you're trying to scoot them around as you're trying to look for supposed WMD. So then we finally were able to reach back like, where is this stuff? Oh, we blow it up. Oh, so you blew up the stuff we told you not to blow up. Mm-hmm. All right. So communication, always good. Um, so uh, I always... Uh, that's, uh, I always wanted to see him, but never got a chance to see him. Um, so now uh, we've, got, uh, we've got the cyclosarin rockets now. We actually have some cyclosarin, some you know, bronze level standard uh, exploitation that we could do back, at the, uh, back on Slayer. Uh, so now we've got we've to transport it back because guess who, DC wants this stuff back, right? So okay, not a problem. So this is kind of interesting. So, I wanted to show you, we're going to put that piece of, we're going to put that ordinance inside this vessel and that gets tightened down to so much PSI so nothing's coming out of it. And the funny story on this one, right, and look, look how happy we are to, to move nerve agent, right? It's, it's, a, it's a fun thing. So the, the logistics folk there on the, uh, on the right, they, they said, uh, 
they, they said, we need the shipper's deck. I'm like, you know, you know we're good to go. They're like, hey, Secretary of Defense is going to release one of his planes to you, and he needs your shipper's deck. So, so I go, really? Okay. So I go and do the shipper's deck. I walk back, and I go, here's a shipper's deck. And I go, okay, you got your plane. I'm like, I'm pretty sure the Secretary of Defense was not waiting on my signature, but, uh, but they, took, they took pleasure in that. So we got another plane. <clears throat> so not only do you have, right, I'm trying to cover everything within the RAC survey group on the technical side, right? Um, so you cover the nuclear side. Uh, on the bio side, if you were to take a look at what we initially were going in for, you need to look at Curveball, right? Recommend this book here uh, by Bob Drogan. Um, and initially, Colin Powell's briefing about the bio, mobile bio labs, and that's what he briefs up at the UN, right? So on the bio side, we're dealing with the, with, you know, the insurgencies making improvised ricin, right? On the bio side, chem side, we covered a couple of things. But you have another method, right? You've got delivery, right? So on the delivery side, you had uh, two weapon systems. And the UN mandate stated that you could not have anything that went more than 150 kilometers, right? But these two systems did. This is the solid rocket, this is a solid rocket fueled uh, Alpha Ta. And so it actually had the Unmovic sticker on it here. It was interesting, as we would go through all the different uh, captured enemy ammunition areas, we would come across SA-2 and SA-3 uh, missiles, and they would have all the UN stickers on it. And then the newer stuff that that Saddam's government was working on would have these Unmovic stickers on it. So that means someone's already inspected this already. Right? So uh, there we have to go x-ray a couple of these and verify, you know, that's, that's not, that is not a WMD containing uh, missile. Right? That's actually a submunition warhead there. So that was the solid uh, fuel one. Then you had the liquid fueled one, which is the Al Samud. Right? And, then, and this one was just a high explosive warhead on this one. So you had those, uh, those two systems and they went beyond the 150 kilometer. Uh, and I believe it was the Al Samud was what was the final justification for um, it violating the UN sanction and one of the things referencing we're going to war because this it violates, um, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> so now, Oh, someone have a question? No. So, uh, uh, one another thing we had to do was close out of Mathana. So remember, Mathana was the chemical, chemical production area. Tuatha was the nuclear production area, and uh, Salman Pak was one of the bioproduction areas. So this is going in and, and taking a look at at uh, doing the final uh, uh, inspection for the Raksuri Group report on Mathana. Uh, so you can see here uh, we're going into uh, one of the. Uh, this is actually the mushroom production. Uh, facility uh, and uh, the, the person in the uh, the blue shirt and the white hat that's Hamish Kilt uh, he's referenceable within the curveball and hide-and-seek incredible wealth of knowledge and to be able to be there with him uh, and uh, everything that uh, he worked with the, with the UN and uh, his knowledge and just incredible incredible guy to be with so we got to do the final inspection so the, those are the mustard reactors there evidently uh, but the interesting thing, this was, uh, was helped built by the East Germans, if I remember correctly. So you can see where, hey, you know, when buildings get bombed, they kind of fall apart and, you know, all those bricks go away. Uh, but those structures, they're still standing. You know, this is 
13 years since we bombed. And the interesting thing, the tile on there was so incredibly shiny because it was built to, we're going to be doing, you know, nerve and, and uh, blister agent production in these facilities. And so you had to have surfaces that were, uh, that could uh, repel. And so the, the tiles still shine. It was just a, a wild to see. Um, Can you go back to the previous one? Yeah. This one? No. Oh, there. One more. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yep. <clears throat> and all these pictures are in the, uh, are actually in the Delphi report too. Thank you. Yep. <clears throat> so, um, so then, uh, so even though everything that we did on our mission is actually on all of our missions, pretty much is referenceable within the Delphi report. Uh, later on, you had a lot of other IDs happening. You had caches of, remember I said there was 450 of the mustard unaccounted for and 550 of the nerve agents unaccounted for, but declared, the Iraq government declared that, right, uh, before, the, before we went to war. Um, but unfortunately, the, the military wasn't as proactive and kind of restrictive. In fact, when I came, when I came back, when I filled out my paperwork and said, hey, I was, you know, I was exposed to X, Y, and Z, we worked on these following things, I couldn't get, the, the doc would not sign off on my post-deployment uh, health certification. He goes, I, no, no, that happened, I'm not signing. And he wouldn't sign it. Um, even though we worked on all those different things. Uh, but, it, but so C.J. Chivers uh, uh, did this article, it's in the New York Times, it's a good reference, right? And then as part of a result of that, then the, you know, the Army came in and they uh, created the chemical warfare agent exposure during OIF and New Dawn. Um, so that way we can register, uh, saying, hey, we were exposed, we worked on this. Uh, so that way we get into a registry, right? So that's a, so that's a good, good thing that happened uh, from that. Um, so, so in the end, you got, um, on the top is a, a quote from uh, Michael uh, Yandel. He was actually uh, the, one of the, he was the team member uh, on the Iraq, uh, on the sarin IED response, right? And he's got the quote there, but what I like it about is the, the, you know, making these weapons and employing these weapons, they're made, they're made by, those decisions are made by people who are never going to respond to it. Right, the people who are affected are going to be, you know, unfortunately, we take a look at Syria. You know, we see what happened in Syria. The children, you know, are affected, or it's the EUD, you know, the EUD chem team on the ground that's going to have to deal with that problem. And then Charles, in in his in the Delphi report, he, you know, unfortunately, it's, you know, when Charles and I were talking yesterday, it's not it's not foreshadowing. It's just a fact. You know, it's a continuing possibility that insurgents will attempt to draw on resident expertise and develop unconventional weapons, right? So we have this going on today. So these are good, so it's always good to study history. Hey, you know, we've got this problem going on in different parts of the world. How did we handle it the last time? Even though what got us in there was not maybe the correct uh, reason. Um, study history. Um, but in the end, it's not all doom and gloom, all right? Sometimes you can have some fun in deployments, right? So you got, uh, you know, so the bath party, they had their boats out there on the lake. So, you know, we got to, we, we got to go out there and enjoy fun, a fun time. Uh, funny is uh, the backstory on this one. Shane told us to go test these suits out. He, I, think he, I think we were driving them crazy at this point. And he goes, get out there and test those suits out. And so we go, all right, we're going to the pool. So down the, so you got the perfume palace in the background, right? 
and then this is Uday's castle, his, his palace, and Uday had a nice pool out there, and so sure enough, the coalition's gonna go out there and fix the pool. And for some reason, a whole bunch of people brought their bathing suits to Iraq, I, I don't know. So, so we went out there to have some fun. Sometimes you get out to go, and then that's actually kind of interesting. That's, uh, that is a demo shot. That's a half million pound ordnance weight shot. But you gotta remember, ordnance weighs a lot more than the actual explosives on the inside, so it's probably only about 70,000 70, pound uh, shot. But we're, we're quite a ways away. But getting a chance to, to you know, help out and blow some stuff up, uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty awesome. You get a chance to tour you know, the swords and the cross swords in Iraq. And that's kind of a little known fact. It's kind of like Statue of Liberty. You can go up inside the arm, right? And then you might be able to stick outside there in the, in the palm. So little bits of history that you, you, you don't know. <clears throat> so uh, again, um, this is what I, uh, you, you know, using for sourcing on this. I've got the Delfer Report. I've got uh, Charles Delfer's book, Hide and Seek, the Curveball book by Bob Drogan, and then uh, C.J. Shivers' uh, article on the, uh, the New York Times. So the reason I, you know, besides coming in here, I'm often given the question, oh, we didn't find WMD in Iraq, did we? Or, oh, we found WMD in Iraq, right? No one understands that there's a gray line in between. You know, we found WMD in Iraq, but it wasn't the WMD we were looking for, right? Um, so you gotta caveat that, all right? Question. Oh, uh, Hans Blix? Yeah. Yes. And, and he was saying that there were not any weapons of mass destruction. Right. And then uh, you had the people that Cheney was talking to, <clears throat> and they were saying that there were. <laughs> so, so that I'm gonna uh, that so that I would reference. Uh, I recommend going through Curveball. So basically, you had you had single source reporting coming from Germany, right? Uh, a a walk-in, I don't remember if it was a walk-in or whatever, but uh, it had Iraqi that said, hey, I know something about WMD in Iraq. In the time, we're, the U.S. has already beaten the drum on, hey, you know, this is after 9-11. And so, you know, he may or may not have manufactured his own stories, right, to say, hey, I know that there's WMD here, and he started describing uh, these bioproduction trailers that were, could run remotely in three trailers, and they would move around, and he would just keep adding on to the story. The Germans wouldn't let us, the US, interview him, right? So we're getting information that comes, single source information that we can't corroborate ourselves by going direct through Germany, who then shares it to DIA, and then CIA then pulls the DIA reporting, and then they start generating their reports. And this, and, and, and Charles has said that if you were to take a look at the reporting, it sounds so credible, right? And you start going down that path, right? And then you might have the other side where, you know what, I need something to drive us to war, and this is my opinion, and this sounds really good, and we can go down this trail. So, and if you were to take a look at um, what 
Colin Powell was going to go brief at the UN, initially they were going to cover all these different parts and pieces, like for example, the, the, the tubes uh, that were supposedly used for uh, doing uh, uranium separation and all these different things. As he got closer, as Colin Powell got closer to delivering that brief, a lot of those things that, that would substantiate those elements of the WMD started to fall apart. But the only thing that sounded um, logical was the whole bioproduction trailers. And then so that's what really got briefed. And it's kind of interesting, right? The, if you, I highly suggest you go back and, and take a look at the, uh, at one point during Colin Powell's brief to the UN, they play a video of a, a jet flying that's pushing out supposed uh, biological uh, weapon, you know, dispersing it, right? So we actually had, at one point, um, those were uh, sitting in the center of the, of the Iraq survey group. So they're in the center of the palace. And it was kind of a funny story. This person comes out and goes, we found the WMD, we're gonna take it back to the States for full exploitation. And I turn to Hamish, I go, hey, why do we have WMD in the center fountain of, the, of our room? And, and he goes, that thing's so riddled with bullet holes and I put the UN stickers on that myself. <laughs> so he goes, there's nothing in it. They're never gonna find anything. So we did bring those spray tanks back. So. Yeah, and on that, I can't speak of, you know, uh, I'm a technical guy, right? I, I like to stay in my technical world. When it comes down to, when it comes down to the politics and the psychology, you know, if we can start to figure out what someone's trying to think. Uh, you, well, it, it, I mean, it, one, uh, one wasn't entirely convinced, particularly about Cheney's evidence, but one wondered about the, the, the Swedish guy, let's say was the, yeah, Hans Blix. Yeah, so he disagreed. And then you had Dr. And then unfortunately, uh, after that, you had uh, Dr. K, who, you know, they found what they thought were these bioproduction trucks, I think two of them, and they brought them into the, and the, and the Slayer. And, and Dr. K, he went up, this is before he's part of the Rack Survey Group, and he's out there, I think, speaking for NBC, and he says, yes, these are production trailers. You know, this is how everything would work. Well, no, they actually were hydrogen production. Uh, used to generate uh, fuel for, uh, for uh, missile systems, right? So in the end, because, the, uh, and I highly recommend the, uh, you know, reading these books because they go into the technical uh, expansion of why they weren't the bioproduction trailers and why they were nitrogen or hydrogen generating trailers. So, and we actually saw the trailers too. They were actually on Slayer. We got to go pop around them. They're kind of interesting. Hydrogen the, bomb. Huh? Hydrogen bomb. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. But, it's, <laughs> but if you were to look at the trailer and you, you would see the trailer, it would initially you go, well, that, well, that could be something, you know? It's, but it's, you know, well, it could be something. What is it and what is it not? Yeah, so. Any other questions? All right. All right, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Thank you. We will definitely want you back. Okay. <laughs> My head is spinning with some of this. This is all new. So it's tremendous stuff. So thank you very much. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it, sir.
All right, thank you very much. Hold on, me until. Oh, okay. Um, oh, here I was gonna shut this off. Yeah. Um, I don't want to press the wrong button. Yeah. It should be a stop button. Oh no, there should, it should be the stop button. I, I can figure that one out. <laughs> Where's the red button? Oh, there you go.